now, Turnbuckles, Trunks, and Titles presents to you Nicholas London and Q-Ball Carmichael. Nickelodeon, you there? Really? This is awesome. The host of the most can't get on the road. She come back. All right, we're going to try this again. This is Tuesday night, and this is Nick, and I am waiting for Q-Ball to call back in right now. As you guys know, things don't always go as planned. Q, are you with me? Yeah, brother. Man, listen, I don't know what is going on with blog talk lately, but I ain't happy, which isn't good to not happy to begin with. They probably know what our conspiracy theory is about tonight. You know what? Dude, that's probably the reason. 
<laughs> it wouldn't shock me. It's the biggest one in the history of the world. <clears throat> All right, listen. I'm going to do this introduction thing one more time, guys. Welcome to another edition of Triple T Radio. Welcome to Turnbuckle Strunks and Titles with myself and the host of the show, Q-Ball Carmichael Q. It's another Tuesday night, buddy. Nick, where does the time go? That's the question. It seems like it was just Tuesday night, the night before last. You mean it wasn't? <laughs> well, it wasn't. <laughs> you know, Q, I've been, I have been working like a madman lately. And I'll tell you, buddy, I've been checking out this whole Triple T Radio.com and all the great stuff we got going on. And, you know, I know we're bringing on our guest tonight, Eddie Osborne, and we're going to get there, as we always do. There's a direct link tonight for fans. They can go right to our website, TripleTRadio.com. Click the link under the upcoming news. There's a direct link there. Check it out, guys. You know we're going to get to our sponsors, as we always do, but we're going to take a couple minutes to talk to you. It's, uh, yeah, it's uh, day before last. It's Tuesday. It's Tuesday already. I don't get it. You know, it goes by, it just makes you realize how fast life goes by. I mean, we've been doing the show for two months now. It seems like we've been doing it for two weeks. It seems like that literally we just get off the phone talking, we chat a couple times during the week, and bam, we're back on the air, and it's Tuesday night again. I know, we probably overstayed our welcome. <laughs> two, months, two months with us is long enough for anybody. Hey, isn't that what, uh, you know, isn't that what Mulligan told uh, Flair when he was 35? He said, if you make it to 40, you've overstayed your welcome in the business. <laughs> right. right. Probably exactly. You know, it's funny, though. It's ironic that back in the day, most of your guys, if you go back to the 50s, 40s, 50s, 60s, most of the wrestlers didn't achieve their peak or their the apex of their career until late 30s to early 40s. Now, it's looked at as uh, you're too old if you're 38. Well, if you meet a guy that's 38 years old and been wrestling since he was 20 years old and he stayed busy 100 nights a year, that's a guy that's pretty much honed his craft. And I think that's where the term journeyman came from. And uh, speaking of that, that's a great movie that won the California Film Award. Uh, the star of the movie, the impetus behind the, the movie, Francisco Siazza, is going to be on the show in a couple weeks. Um, really look forward to I've known him a long time. Great guy. And he has silently, over the last 20 years, wrestled 100 to 150 nights a year. I used to do, I don't remember it, Nick, but I used to do the top, top 10 or top 20 independent wrestlers around the country. And one year, the last year I did it was about five years ago because I don't stay up on top of it as much um, since I'm in the law enforcement and and got back into business for myself. Um, but one of the last years, he was the uh, first was Chase Stevens, and and but I'll tell you what, is Frank Frankie Siato was tail dragging his butt. Um, I had checked out the guy. Um, he had wrestled. Over 100 times that year, this is like 2015, over 14, over 120 times that year and faced off against, I mean, just the who's who 
of names in the business, you know, from Adam Pierce to Jay Lethal to Colt Cabana, and he just wrestled everybody. And, you know, never a guy that went out and sought the attention, never a guy that put himself over crazy ridiculous. Um, he did use Facebook as a correct form. But one of the things that really impressed me the most about him is before he got really successful, he went wrestling about seven or eight years, and he was he was pretty heavy. And he decided he was going to get in shape. And this guy, over a period of 12 to 18 months, transformed his body into something that every wrestler would look at, be envious to have the perfect wrestler's physique. I mean, just really chiseled away, worked hard, and got himself in great shape. And, of course, when that happened, his career took off. And, and, and literally the same thing happened to me is after, you know, years of going out there and, and not being as good as I was at the gym, once I focused on it and, and, and got on some size and some shape, my career took off. Of course, like him, I surround myself with a lot of really good people. Yeah, and that's what you need. And, you know, it's funny that you say we're talking about this because a moment ago when we said about overstaying your welcome, you realize, and I don't know if you do, because I certainly didn't say anything to you before the show because I didn't even plan on going into this topic, but do you realize right now AJ Styles, who is having the best matches of his life, is 42 years old? It it doesn't surprise me. It it really doesn't surprise me. I mean, you know, I I I think that that you know, if anything, the WWE should take away from you know the age thing and focus more on the skill and ability and the the ability to perform versus the age factor. Because I can tell you, for me, I was in the best physical shape of my life between ages. 40 and 43, you know, and, and I was having the best matches in my life at that period of time too, whether we were late bloomers or whatever, whatever you want to focus it on. But I think, you know, if you stay in shape, you extend your career in wrestling. And, you know, I was, I was very fortunate and, and AJ stayed in shape. Jericho's another guy who's not a kid who stayed in shape. And it's just really surprising some of the age, some of these guys out there, that are just incredible and having incredible matches, and they're not kids anymore. Oh, I know. It is. I agree. You know, uh, Chris Jericho is a prime example. He's 50 years old. He just keeps on reinventing himself, and he's as big as he ever was. And by big, I certainly don't mean size-wise. I mean, he's as over with the crowd as he ever was before. Yeah, he's the guy that, you know, and I don't know if people realize this, but he's been a mainstream star now for the last, I mean, 20-plus years. I mean, when he first came into WWE, the Y2J thing was, you know, at the millennium, the year 2000, when everything was supposed to go cuckoo birds when he left WCW and came up there. And they made a big deal about him. And, you know, he was 30 years old at the time, and here he is 50 years old now. And he's every bit as good, if not better, because, I can tell you one thing that I've learned is you learn where, when, why, and how to take the two most important bumps of your life in that match. You know, you don't have to go be a bump monkey. You just figure it out. You figure out where they're going to matter, where it's going to mean the most, where you can put them, how you can tell a story with them. And it really, to me, it just makes for a better wrestler. If you're staying in shape and you've got the age, you know, the, the guys in their 40s and, 
you know, all the way up to 50 years old. Those two guys, AJ Styles and, and you know, Chris Jericho should be classy examples that you don't throw a guy away or don't look at a guy because he's 35 years old. If you're the WWE or somewhere, he's 36 years old. You don't throw him away. You know, here's the thing is, you look at how many NFL players that were considered over the hill at 35, and then you got Tom Brady, who is out there at 42 years old, you know, having a fantastic year. Again. Big Tom Brady. So I don't why do you say The fact of the matter is you can't deny his level of success and his skill and ability to perform in a very physical game at 42 years old. That's right. We had a guy in the show a couple of weeks ago, a buddy of yours, um, you know, <clears throat> that just uh, – <clears throat> uh, you can call him something different than I do. I call him Brody, but you know him as, as Pete. But Earth yeah. guy who's 50 years old that is in incredible shape. And to me, sort of a travesty that he never had a deal earlier in his career, but he's still a guy that can get out there and perform night after night consistently. So, you know, he's 50 years old. So, I mean, you you can't – I think it's terrible to put a label on somebody. Just look at Harley Race when he came to the WWE for his last run. King Harley, he was in his 40s. I mean, you know, you don't throw a guy away because there's a certain amount of digits in his age. To me, that's a complete waste of talent. How about how about this one? How about this one? Ricky Steamboat, WrestleMania 25. He did so good they put him on the road with Jericho as a wrestler slash coach, and look at the work he did with Jericho. There you go. Huh? Tore the house down, and he was still better than half of the roster. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I I saw Rick. I think the last time about three or four years ago, got a picture. I'm in a big plaid sport coat. He's standing next to me. And, you know, in his T-shirt in there, he was still in the same shape. You know, he looks like an older dude from the neck up or from the neck down. He still looks like he's dying in his, his 30s. He's going to the gym on a regular basis. So, you know, I mean, that, you know, Mill um, Master is another guy that worked until he was in his 50s, you know? Oh, I, listen, some of these guys, you can't, look at, you can't deny talent. Uh, you can't deny a guy, you know, people can crap all over Vince McMahon, but when he takes his shirt off, he looks better than half the boys do. So, you can't look on everyone. No. Yeah. It's, and that's it's, my it's, it's, it's a true story. Listen, I want to talk about a touchy subject. Big event this past weekend called NWE. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, mainly because I'm not sure if it really does deserve that much time. Uh, I'm going to play it nice. I'm going to play it cool because that's what I do. I wrote the promoter on Sunday at uh, 1.44. I said, could you give me some results from last night? He wrote me back and said, I'll have them for you soon. I never heard from him again. So it couldn't have been that important for him. He knew that I was going to be on the radio Tuesday. So I'm just going to put it to you very bluntly. I'm going to put you straight. I want your honest opinion. I'm going to read off a couple of my own that I have. Um, They decided to debut a 24-7 championship. 
you're, you're hearing me right when I say uh, 24-7 championship. This isn't, uh, you know, th- this is a direct, a, a, a very direct championship that is the exact same as the WWE, a little different looking. However, same idea, the same 24-7 written in the middle with champion. Um, you know, the WWE had the Intercontinental Champion in the day, still do. WCW had the United States Championship. Um, everybody had their own version of their World Championships, obviously. Um, I'm not a big fan of this. I, I thought it was kind of a slap in the face to uh, to some of the guys that work in the business. And uh, some people like to call these guys, not all of them, because some of them are workers, some of them are amazing, and I have nothing but the utmost respect for them. What do you think of someone making the same championship and doing the exact same thing? Just want you honest, your, your candid feelings on it. Well, my feelings are like this. I've, I've, I've unfortunately worked for guys before that show up in their J.C. Penny off the rack, $100 suits, thinking they're Vince McMahon, and the next coming of Vince McMahon, and trying to run, you know, intercontinental titles and hardcore titles and now 24-7 titles. It, to me, it's the equivalent of a promotion that runs in, for instance, I ran in seven states when I had the IPWA, but our consistent home was one place in Alexandria, Virginia, and our heavyweight championship was called the IPWA Heavyweight Championship. Calling it a world, calling it a world title when it's defended in not, not just one, but seven states would be ridiculous, you know. When you're when you're a promotion, I mean, you think you're fooling the fans. All you're doing is looking like a damn fool. When you have world championship and you're wrestling one or two towns, or if you have a, a, a top commitment, the WWE's hardcore 24/7 whatever title. I hope you keep low on the outside to be able to see that they look like the biggest fool with two feet on the face of the earth. A couple of the comments I got, I'll read them to you. Um, uh, if it's okay with you, because I know you and I have the exact same respect, I'm going to keep the names nameless, and uh, I'm going to read a couple off. I, 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 I had asked a couple of guys that you and I know in the business that have been around for a long time, and uh, a couple of real simple ones, like uh, don't care about guys that play wrestlers. Um, he had basically told me, please say my quote, and say my name. I don't mind. I'm not like that. Um, he made it very verbal, though, that, you know, it's pathetic, and uh, you, you can't stop kids from playing, basically. Those aren't his words. I'm going I'm 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 to I'm I'm guess that's the guy who's over six foot six and has been on our show before. I'm going to guess you're probably right. Um, That's another why I love one. Him even more than I did. <laughs> uh, another guy had mentioned about um, a clone, and you know how they uh, they 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 cheap they they're cheap cheapening their product by doing these sort of things and fulfilling their fantasies and you know. Aside from the boys that want to work, and uh, some guys, they won't even want anything to do with that belt. Um, you know, another guy told me about um, not his circus, not his monkey. She's going to do what he wants, which I totally agreed with. 
uh, one thing I'm going to, I want to elaborate on what you said about a world championship versus uh, um, your company's championship. I have to agree but, with you. Defending the title in two provinces or one province, or in your case, seven states or two states, it really doesn't make it a world champion. You are the champion of that organization, and I think keeping it at that is much more makes it much more prestige than lying and saying that it's a world championship. You know, it's it's like uh, there's a guy down here who um, I I didn't break him in, but I was there when he got broken in. Steve Carino trained him. His name's Eddie Brown. Um, he's a buddy of mine. He's ran uh, Ring Wars Carolina for the last 20 years, a promotion and a school. Uh, put out a lot of great guys. And, you know, he he listened to me early on, and he's got his, his RWC Heavyweight Championship, and he's also got a four-county title because he runs shows consistently in four different counties. So he's actually got a four-county title, which to me – is a guy who gets it. He's got his, his heavyweight championship, his championship, and that's for a secondary title. He's got a four-county title because he runs four counties. You know, that's like when I wrestled for um, a VCW, the Virginia Championship Wrestling. They're an NWA branch, and I was their champion, so I was the VCW NWA Virginia State Heavyweight Champion, which made a lot of sense. They had a state championship. And if you remember back in the day, um, back to the Crocker promotions, they had a lot of regional titles, and they had TV, so they had a TV title. But to me, it's the equivalent of a guy who doesn't have television having a TV title. I actually, yeah. When I put my TV in my DVD player, I'm on my TV, so I got a TV championship. No. You definitely definitely have to say (laughs) I want to tip my cap to uh, Alfredo Dragon, who, Alfredo, Frago, however you want to say that. And the, here's why I'm tipping my cap to him. He won the NWA uh, heavyweight champion. That's right. Or the NWE heavyweight champion. My bad. And it is actually called the NWE heavyweight champion, not the NWE world heavyweight champion. But here's why I mentioned his name, and I know you're going to respect this, and you're probably going to really think this is cool for him, is he was broke in and trained by Peter Smith. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so he won about last night. It was really, or, or Saturday night, rather. Really cool moment for him. I was really happy for him. I, I'm going to tell you that right now. And uh, then I'm going to leave it on a really crappy note, but I want you to comment. A, um, I just want to know, you know, we've heard of them all, right? Hell in the Cells, we've right. heard of uh, of uh, ladder matches, we've heard of steel cage matches, the uh, the infamous um, Judy Bagwell on a pole match or forklift match. Now I want to know what you think of a wine bottle on a pole match. I, I'm still looking at what it has to do with wrestling. Well, I don't. Uh, to me, it's like you know what? Why not put a you know years ago at Thanksgiving time, the old AWA used to have a turkey on a pole match, which made sense because it was Thanksgiving. But you know, to put a wine bottle on a pole match, I mean, 
why wouldn't you just have the regional underwater Himalayan folk dancing heavyweight championship? It, it makes more sense. Oh no, I I agree. I um, I never got it. I didn't go oh. to their shows. Uh, I did go to one, and I'm gonna say this right here on the radio because again, this isn't me crapping on them. Um, I only I don't go to their shows because they're three hours away, uh, and I'm not booked. And obviously, I have no reason to be booked. I'm not a wrestler. I am retired from the business in any way. So, but I would have gone if it was closer. So I'm not on here just crapping on them. Uh, I can think of a whole bunch of companies in the Maritimes alone that have had issues, and, and I would talk very openly about them as well. Uh, this just happened to be what they would call their WrestleMania show. It's the road to gold. Uh, my hats are off to, you know, some of the guys on there. Uh, I, I, I'm not crapping on them in any way. I'm happy. Anyone that answers the bell, I try to respect. And, um, yeah, that's it. They're done now till April. So, uh, you know, I'm sure they'll have a good return. Uh, their main event was Ryan Heath versus a guy by the name of Santana, who was just recently down at the Performance Center. Not right? No, he was in Toronto during SummerSlam, I think, and they had a tryout thing going on. And they had, um, they had like, Matt Bloom there and everything, and it was cool for him, and I was happy for him. I mean, he's got a long road ahead of him. But, um, you know, again, like I talked to that other individual, there are guys there that are real workers, real hard workers, too. So anyone that thinks I'm crapping on them, I'm not. And if I was, I'd crap all over it. But, you know, those were just a couple of things that bothered me that I wanted to talk about because I thought it was, I'll say it on here, I thought it was stupid. I didn't like it. Um, I, I felt the, uh, 24-7 championship was foolishness, and anyway, I'll leave it at that, um, you know, what do you say, we, uh, we, we get Eddie to call in, and we will move on from there. Let's do it. All right, I'm telling him right now to give us a call into the show, and in the meantime, I do want to say that, Q, it's nice to hear your voice again after a whole week. (laughs) <laughs> that's all I, I had that's all I had after my little rant there but I had to get <laughs> that off my chest you know there's I an don't... old saying if somebody's driving you crazy why are you letting them drive yeah I, I don't usually say too much uh, I love all the boys that are down there so I mean anyone that thinks I'm crapping on them they should know enough that you know, this is the rest of business. Work, work is hard enough to get these days anywhere, you know, just because the promoter decides to pull some kind of snafu and something crazy doesn't, doesn't mean you're, if you're booked, you're going to go to the show, obviously. I mean, that's the right thing to do. And, you know, you can't control those guys. They're going to do what they want to do. So, True you enough. know. Okay. I, uh, I've, been, I've been in the same boat. All right. Let's, uh, I totally agree. Eddie Osborne, welcome to the show, my man. It's been a long time. How's it going, guys? Always going, buddy. Good, man. Uh, We just finished up some uh, big shows up here, so now I'm just hanging out and uh, getting ready to fly to Vancouver and then back to the island. 
Jeez. Someone's a little busy. Well, you want to be busy, right? That's what we do. So I'm, I'm pretty That's happy right. about it. It's been you're, you're, fun, on, so. you're on the phone with uh, with, with Newball Carmichael, who is the host of the show, and obviously me, Nick. Uh, I can't even remember, man. Maybe you could even jog my memory. I don't remember the last time we spoke on air together. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> it was a while before <laughs> uh retirement there, so it's been moons. Yeah, it has. I think it's been about probably 2012, roughly. That that sounds about right to me. So, uh, yeah, Q, um, Eddie, Eddie is... Uh... Oh, no, go ahead. I was going to say, 2012 makes it seven years. That's about twice the average life expectancy of an independent pro wrestler. <laughs> well, geez, I'm going on 18, so I'm almost three times that now. Hey, brother. <laughs> I you, look, I do I do my homework. You've been out there a long time, bro. Thank I, you, man. I, no, I, I do my homework. I've been people, enjoying so. it. So. Well, you know what? And that's what it's all about. If you're doing it and you're having fun doing it, I mean, it, it, that's the name of the game in, in pro wrestling as far as I'm concerned. I, I always said if you got in it for the money, you were getting in it for the wrong reasons. And if you happen to get into it because you're passionate about it and you make money, that's just a bonus for you. That's what we want to do, right? We want to we'll make some money. We want to get on these big shows, run some big shows, and just get out there. Let people know who we are. Now, now you per, you promote up there, don't you? Right, PWA is that you? I, I do. Yeah. Uh, yep. This was our last weekend with PWA and rebranding, so it was our uh, farewell to P- PWA this weekend. And I'm launching 365 Pro Wrestling in January. Oh, oh wow. Cool. That is yeah, cool. it's a final show. It's pretty big. Breaking news. We got to hear first. Yeah, it's tell me about it. Great baby. times and what? What's uh, what's the plan for this three sixty five wrestling? Well, like every day, all day, we want to have some kind of uh, wrestling out there for you guys. Whether it's promos, whether it's our podcast that we're going to do daily. It's just a fifteen minute one, but. We want to introduce everyone to our characters, to our wrestlers, and uh, that's just where we're going to go with it. I think uh, wrestling, there's never enough content. There's never too much. So we're just going to try and push it and make our guys uh, ex- uh, uh, show themselves to everyone else, like try and get exposure for all well, these guys, and then hopefully they'll come and see the shows and they'll know a little bit about each of the wrestlers. Hey, Eddie, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you something funny. You know, you're on Facebook and you look at your memories, right? Yeah, I, I was looking at one today from seven years ago, and I was putting down the list of things I did, doing DDP yoga in the morning, uh, taking my daughter to school, going to the gym after that for an hour and lifting, coming home working, going back and picking up my daughter, all this stuff, and then sitting down and watching an hour of uh, of old um, uh, UWF uh, matches and stuff. And at that time, I was still pretty active in, in wrestling. I've gotten a little older since then, so I'm more active with camps and seminars and, and, and podcasts and stuff like that. But I said, I said at the bottom, I said, you need to do something every single day to make yourself better, better known, uh, out there more, or do something every single day to try to improve where you were the day before. So it's almost all in place. 365 thing that you're doing, kind of ironic, but 
you know, I think it's a no, great idea. Awesome. I wish you a lot of success with it. Uh, thank you very much. And I, you're, you were arguing with that in seven years ago because that's what we've got to do. We've got to just keep putting ourselves out there so people can see us. And uh, I think it's hilarious that we're doing it this year because this year is a leap year, but uh, we won't talk about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but just, it's just good times, and that's the whole idea. With social media being so big, we want to really try and capitalize on it and uh, get our brand known. Well, that's well, you, you know, that's the best thing create a brand and get it out there and keep it and you know out there where people can be exposed to it a little bit more every day. It sounds like you're doing all the right things, man. Thank you. Now, so you're heading to the rock after this. Uh, what's going on? Uh, what's going on there in Vancouver? What's going on when you get back to the rock? Uh, are you still well, right doing now? I'm in. Uh, uh, right now, I'm just in Ontario. Uh, I'm in Kitchener. So we wrapped up here. We did Kitchener, Guelph. And then uh, this weekend, I'm in Vancouver for Saturday for ECCW, me and Randy Myers. That would be great. And then uh, I train on Vancouver Island, so still on the left coast. And I have a training school in Victoria, and then we do some stuff in Campbell River as well. So I'll be training Monday in Campbell River, or, uh, Victoria, then seeing my family for the first time in three weeks, and then uh, continuing that path. I don't have any shows for the rest of the month, so it'll just be family and uh getting stuff ready for 365 for wrestling. Hey, it's Christmas time, man. I get that. You know what? There's nothing more important than family. For sure. And I've been I've been gone for a couple weeks, three weeks now, so it'll be nice to just get three weeks of them. Get some of the personal yeah, it's life. A good, time. Good, time. good time of year to catch up with family, man, the holidays. You can get to see people you haven't seen in a while. Now, you are you, you're from out in Vancouver originally, out that area? Yeah, I'm originally from Vancouver Island, uh, Campbell River, B.C., so North Island. And then I moved to Ontario to do the wrestling. And I stayed here for about 13 years. But I started my promotion out here. And then when I moved back to B.C. about six years ago, I continued uh, my promoting out there as well and in Ontario. So we have both uh, provinces right now with wrestling in them. So I keep coming back and forth. Isn't that a bit of a hike between Toronto and, and Vancouver? <laughs> it is, it is. And just to get off the island's a hike. But uh, I got some really good people on my team here, like Eric Kearney and Lenny Lilac, Jeff Black, Brandon Jacobs, Nolan Pink, Clay Wilson. Those guys really help out a lot. Are you, are, were you, living, you were living in Ontario, though, when you traveled down here to uh, the yep. Maritime. Yeah, okay. I thought so. Yeah, at that time I was. I only left here six years ago. So that was in okay. 2014 or 13, I guess. A little more, little more opportunity out there. I think there's more opportunity out here. I think it's just starting to grow the Pacific Northwest with Defy and ECCW and 321 and all these guys that are doing great things. So there's more exposure now and Ring Honor is going there and WB is going there, but Beforehand, it was a little bit hard to get noticed when you're out there. Okay. No. Uh, Toronto, Toronto's the hub. There's so many good wrestling there. So being in Ontario is a good thing. There's a lot of places you can get to in the States and just even in Ontario alone. Tell Q a little bit about how you broke into the business. Well, in uh, 2000, we were just backyard wrestling and having fun and my buddy Elian 
uh, Clayton Wilson. He graduated and said, hey, man, I'll see you in a year or something. Like, Pardon me? Where are you going? I thought maybe college or something. He's going to the Hart Brothers Pro Wrestling School in Ontario, which was run by Smith. And uh, so I'm like, oh, wait a minute, we can go to a school. So I finished my school year. I graduated in 01, and then I uh, moved to Ontario, and I joined them. And I lived there for about 13 years. I trained under uh, Sid Summers, Juan Ortiz, Carl LaDuke, uh, Bruiser Bedlam. They all helped out. And then I had guys like Gaze, uh, Ely, and Habanero help me, and all these guys kind of helped me out. Help me out. That's a pretty impressive list of people that you trained with there, brother. Oh, for sure. They're all great guys, and we had some talented people in the class as well. We had the Highlanders and Sean Spears, so lots of, lots of good guys there to work with. Wow. Well, nothing more important. I just, I mean, I just, I just oh, well, have exposed to Sean, to Sean Spears, man. He He's a heck of a talent. Definitely, definitely. He was. You knew he was going to be good when he when he started right away. When he started, I'm like, oh, this guy's going to be amazing. So, very proud of him and all he's accomplished and what he's doing, and always rooting for him. Yeah, it took me about 14 seconds when he talked the first time I heard him to tell you he's from Canada. That's usually <laughs> the longest. It's usually the longest it takes me because Nick kind of knows my story. Is is I'm from upstate New York where I was raised. But I was born in St. Catharines. Oh, okay. So you're from exactly where so, Spears is from. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it was one of those things where that's why when I, I always felt the fun to Bay, you had a nice ring to it. And, uh, you know, it was always the, always the thing down here in the States because I could, I could, you know, I spent a lot of time in Canada being from upstate New York. I was literally three hours from the Canadian border. I feel that's where a lot of wrestling was in, in upstate New York because it was so close. Well, you know, and, and that's the thing. When I, was... I had a feeling that I was going to lose him because every time his phone starts making noise, uh-huh. I lose him. I so we're going to have to wait a No, it wasn't you. It was, it was Q. I lost him. Oh, we lost Q-Ball. Okay. Story of our lives here on uh, Triple T Radio. <laughs> Oh, that happens, right? Happens every single time he's on the show. Never fails. It's right oh, around wow. the same time. Yeah, I don't that's know why impressive. it doesn't. He'll call right back in anyway. But we that's go through this. Clear now, too. I can actually hear you, so. Oh, yeah, and now you'll hear him, too, no problem. I was kicked, you, I was kicked I, off my own, to think you do this on show. Purpose. You do this go. on purpose. <laughs> yeah, he does it on purpose. I'm getting older and he messes with me and says, where'd you go? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> but, I knew yeah, it was going know, and started. It was funny. I was doing Bruce Hart's wrestling show a few years ago and we were talking. And uh, because I started in Hawaii, he goes, do you remember that one show where all of us in the mainland had to go hide out in the sugar cane field so we didn't get killed? I said, yeah, I was on that show with you. So, oh, man. Like, yeah, true story. Oh, oh I didn't man. have to. I, I lived there with all the guys that had flown in for the show. They had to go hide out for a day until they could get to the airport without getting killed and get back down there and, play and get out of there. Oh, my gosh. It was, you know, it was like wrestling in Hawaii back in the day was like wrestling in Puerto Rico, man. If you got out of there alive, 
if you weren't from there and you're wrestling one of the Samoans or one of those guys that were local and you went over, oh, my gosh, you'd be lucky you get out of that place alive. I mean, they, people just really wanted to kill you. It was, it was wild. Yeah. K-Fabe hadn't been busted yet, man, and these, these people, man, they just wanted to. You know, ironically, they were hiding in the sugarcane field, which is where they were going to bury their bodies if they caught them. <laughs> no, that's so, yeah, some crazy, that's amazing, crazy stories back in the day. That's why we, Nick and I, Nick and I played this game six degrees of cue ball, Carmichael. And if you mention a wrestler's name, there's probably within six different wrestlers I can attach myself to that person. And we we, we did it when we had Pete on the show. Is uh, he wrestled Snitsky and I broke Snitsky into the business. So it was, it took, it was like one degree. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty amazing. Well, you know, no, I've never wrestled. Being, being, doing your thing for so long, well, right? So you meet a lot yeah, of people it's, and. It's because I hung around too long. You know, I stayed active for over 35 <laughs> years. So, you know, if, my theory to that is I just stuck around way too long. My daughter's 13 and she looked me up on, uh, Google one time, this is a couple of years ago, and she goes, Dad, there's like 34,000 pages with you in it. I go, do you know what that means? She goes, you're famous? I said, nope. It means I stuck around way too long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. man. That's exactly it, though, really. But at the same time, we were joking earlier about overstaying your welcome in the business. But really, it's guys like, like Eddie, guys. Well, I, actually, I don't think I should use Eddie, but maybe Eddie will agree. But coming up in the business, you know, guys like you are good to have in the locker room because it's great to pick people's brains. It's good to to learn all different things about that line of work. I mean, some of these kids today are worried about who who posted the next, you know, Twitter comment or, or Facebook comment, and you know. Thank God for guys like you too that are hardcore that want the guys to sit and learn, not play on their phones and, you know, practice their match for six hours and then go out and do it in 15. So I think that's why I enjoy training so much. I get to uh, mix some of the old school with the new school. So uh, yeah. the struggle for me is to blend these so then they can go out there and still be really good performers, but also have the background of chain wrestling and a little bit of shoot just in case they ever get a problem or if they forget their whole damn match, at least they can wrestle. So that's what I always try and do and pride myself in with my training. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, you're giving them, like you said, you give them some of the new, but you're giving them some of the old school stuff that you learn from. If you, if you look at the, the food chain, so to speak, of how you got trained and where those guys came from, who they wrestled in their careers, and then handing that ball off to you to carry forward, plus the stuff that you've learned since you've been in the business and, and trained with those guys. I mean, it's just, you know, people, I don't think people really, don't really realize what a wealth of knowledge a guy like you can be if they would just sit there, pick your brain, shut up, and listen. You know what I mean? You can really get a lot. And that's, that's one of the old school mentalities is, is back in the day. I mean, we weren't allowed to speak until we were finally given permission. You know, obviously somebody said hello, you said hello back to him, you went in and shook everybody's hand, but you didn't really talk unless you were sort of invited into conversation or you had, you know, two or 300 matches under your belt and then you get included in the conversation. But, you know, that's, that's something that, that, you know, is, is something that can still be well taught for guys is, you should have your, you know, your ears open and your mouth closed around somebody that's got, 
you know, 15, 18 years in the business because they're going to be able to, just by listening to that guy, you're going to be able to pick up a lot of stuff and learn by osmosis. And I, I think that, you know, that's not as popular as it once was, um, but I think there's a lot, lot to be said for it. I agree. No, that's that's how I was taught and that's how I was raised. And I think uh, sometimes you get somebody who's been wrestling for as long as me, but they've only had two matches every month. And then, then you got to be careful who you listen to sometimes. But one of my trainers told me that you uh, can take everything in and then keep what you want. And then whatever doesn't apply to you or isn't going to help you with your training, let it go with the other ear. But you always stay there, have those ears open, have those eyes open, be looking around, and just be quiet and take it in and ask questions if, if you need them. Yeah, it's uh, that's perfect advice too for guys. Oh. You know, it's it's it's. I I, I know a guy for. I, I just give an example. I know a guy that wrestled once a month for the same promoter for twenty years. So he's had 12 matches a year for 20 years. He's had a total of about 240 matches. And he's the first guy to tell everybody how everything should be done. I'm sitting there going, geez, I had 300 matches. I had 300 matches under my belt in my first two and a half years. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, and again, it's, it's just like you said, you know, take in what you can. I'm sure there's something you can learn from a guy. Take in what you can and what you can't. Let it go out the other ear. You know, you pick up, you know, I think all of us have a personality a wrestling uh, style or personality that's kind of based on the people that we were exposed to early on in our business that we, we take and we develop and then we make it our own. And, uh, you know, we, we add stuff in as we learn, as we go along. I think that, you know, I mean, I just did a seminar in Georgia um, down on the Florida border about a month and a half ago, you know, and I had seven or eight guys in, in the, in the seminar. And there was a couple of things guys said that I'm like, Hmm, I never looked at it like that, but you know what? I'm going to take that in, and and uh, I might use that down the road. So you can always still learn in a business no matter how long you've been in there. Well, I keep learning. Every day I learn something new, So, and that's why I think I like it. I keep learning, and uh, I get to be a part of helping uh, other people do good things. So that's why I love wrestling so much and entertaining the crowd. still about that crowd, getting them off their chair and making some noise. Yeah, it's a it's a constant evolution, you know. It's an evolutionary process that just goes on forever. For sure. What would you say is like your proudest moment in, in wrestling? Was it uh, teaching? Was it doing uh, a certain match? Or like what what stands out to you in your whole uh, career? Because you've had if you've had that many years, that's that's so many great moments. I'm sure. Hey Q, you gonna answer that? <laughs> Did we lose him? I don't know if we lost him or not. I didn't think we did. No, I thought he was there. Q, where'd you go? I don't know what he. What do you got? What do you guys got on deck for the the rest of the week? You guys got over the rest of the week. What do you got? Next week we got Nick Patterson on the show. Very nice, very nice. Yeah, and then uh, I think we're heading back over to Key's neck of the woods for a bunch of guys he's got booked. Uh, Q, where are you? What did you do here? Um, are you guys? Hey, tell me a little about your podcast, man. That's cool that you guys are doing, even if it is only fifteen minutes. 
Well, we're just going to start it up uh, on January 1st, and I want to do one every day. And I don't want to do an hour just because that's a lot of time and commitment for a person. But if I do 15 minutes, maybe on your lunch break or maybe right after school or however you want to do it, you can listen to that 15 minutes. So, and I just want to uh, introduce some of the guys and tell a story with them. And then that's that. And next day, somebody new and maybe the first guy is on two weeks later and we tell another story, but just something small to give you a little bit of a taste of who these people are and some of their stories on experiences on this, on this journey we're taking. No, I think that's cool, man. I think that's a good idea. Um, <clears throat> you starting that January 1st. I think uh, I'll definitely have to tune in and check that out. I think that'll be a really cool piece. Um, you're looking forward to that. Are you guys got anything else planned with it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's I'm going to let you carry the bulk of the conversation on because apparently I can't keep the connection. Allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, allegedly, they sent a man to the moon. We know different than it was really a well, film station in Arizona, but I'm just saying that. You know, if you can send somebody into space, you should be able to get a cell connection to keep keep connection. But hey, I'm gonna leave it at this. Um, Eddie had asked a question to you before he got disconnected. Did you hear his question? Um, about moments that stood out. Yeah, you wanted to yeah, know about the last thirty-five years. Like, what what stood out to you the most? What have you enjoyed the most about it? Because I, I think um, with that much time in here, it's it's got to be like amazing how many things you've seen and done. Yeah, you know, I was I was real lucky. I got to go. Uh, Tom Brandy, who wrestled himself and here here in the WWE, has been around forever. Um, he worked for me a lot when I ran shows back in the day, and when he got brought to the WWE, the first chance he got, he got me and uh, my buddy Jimmy Cicero and another guy up there. And uh, so we got to be up there. Got, became friends with Jim Cornette. He booked me a lot. So I got to be up there yeah. a lot during the Attitude Era. Um, I was I was at Madison Square Garden the first night that Stone Cold stunned Vince and the pop in the crowd made everybody in the back jump. Yeah. Like it was worse than the pyrotechnics at the beginning of the show. It was louder. So, you know. That's amazing. And I got to wrestle Dominic Tanucci with Bruno San Martino calling the play-by-play in a sold-out Beaver Dome. And, you know, wow. just, just oh, guys like King Kong Bundy would run shows. And, you know, he booked me against himself in every show that he ran. He made me the head trainer at his wrestling school. Just, you know, guys, it, it was more like, I think, than the matches itself. It was the comments that guys like Cheeto or Greg Valentine would make to me or or one of the guys that have been on top for years would make a comment like, you know, um, you know, you were the best match on the card when you're not trying to be your match number four and you're trying to go out and do match number four's job. It just so happens, you know, you're with somebody talented and you click and the main event comes back and looks at you and says, Hey, you still had the best match of the night, you know, and uh, just just little stuff like that. I mean, you know, the, the little comments from the guys that have been on top that, were like, you know, that looked really good or this looked really good. And, you know, you have so many matches with so many people. It's, it's you know, I mean, wrestling Aaron Sheik was fun. I traveled with him for two years. And uh, it was the only time in my career I was a baby face. And uh, I, I was always a baby face against him. And we worked all over the Northeast together. I got to work with the Bushwhackers a lot. Um, just, you know, guys like that. I mean, just, they were fun. It was 
would want you to have some input on the match and, you know, just say, hey, call whatever you want to call out there. We'll do whatever you want to do. And, you know, you're looking at them going, wait, I'm supposed to be saying that to you. <laughs> yeah. Like, we did that the first no, five amazing. times. Now it's your turn. So, you know, stuff like that. You know, you yeah. know it is. When you wrestle somebody that's very skilled and you get a compliment from those guys, I think it means more to you than, than anything else. It's, you know, after a certain while, you don't need the validation, but it still feels good. For sure, hundred percent. No, that's. I think that's everybody in every job, every every sport. That's the huge thing when you feel validated. It just it gets you going even more. So. Um, okay. Well, when when the last time you thought of people? Oh yeah, yeah. No, no. Go ahead, Eddie. One more question. Go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, when's the last time you uh, saw people calling matches in the ring? Because that's kind oh. of a lost art, like. Our last show here, we had uh, Elian Habanero and Reggie Marley, and they did call their last match and his last match in the ring. But like, I don't see that as much on the thing. Like, there's a lot of call, but not a whole match like that. Yeah, it's it's funny. I mean, I uh, there's a guy down here, Damian Wayne, who's real successful, and I wrestled him a bunch of times. And, and it was funny. We were doing a main event uh, when Drew Sharp on the NWA, and he was there, and uh, we're in the locker room and. And Damon looks over at me and he goes, We need to talk about anything. I said, Nah, you're going over. Just hit me with that elbow off the top thing. And that was it. We didn't say a word during the match. But I, I have for the last for the last twenty five years, unless I worked up north where a lot of guys like to go through everything, um, I've I've called everything in the ring. Being a heel I usually call it anyway. And you know, for the yep. last fifteen years I've had more experience than all the guys they've worked with pretty much and so I would just call it out there. I, You know, my thing with, with that is, Eddie, is if you see guys that go through a whole match in the back and they go out there and the crowd's not buying it and they look like an oil painting is still life, then those guys, they can't, <laughs> they can't change it up and they can't go to calling it and the crowd's not into it. And one match like that can kill the crowd for the rest of the boys for the whole night. So for sure. me, I mean, I have just always called that I worked a kid a couple uh, I forget it was about five, six years ago I worked this young kid. He's real successful now. Um, did a lot of NXT stuff and, and things. And he'd been in the business about six months. And I go, well, what do you want to do? And he went through all this stuff. And I said, okay. And right before he went out, I looked at him and said, look, kid, I forgot everything you said. So just listen to me, and it'll be the easiest night you ever had. <laughs> and you should have seen a look <laughs> on his face, man. He looked like you'd seen a ghost. So we get oh, out there, God. and I just call everything. We go about eight minutes. I put him over with something simple. And he goes back and back. He goes, that's the most fun I ever had. I go, that's because there wasn't any pressure on you. He didn't say, well, let's yep. do this and then this and then this and then this. And that's when you start having a good time. To me, is when you can call out there. And, you know, I think it, it's organic. And you can call your match according to the crowd and how they're reacting to it. And, and one of the things that, that I really teach a lot is that, you know, Moves are a means to an end. People pay for one thing when they go to see a wrestle match. They see they pay to see the finish. Everything else in between point A and point B, the moves are just the, the the way to get to the end. But the transitions, the time in between each move or spot, the look, yeah. the turn, the sell, the emotion, all that is people emotionally hooked on the business. So you have to sure. the transitions in your psychology. Of course, everything. Every what you start with should go into what you end with, 
Um, you should you should go back to it throughout the match so it has some consistency through it. You should be able to tell a story and do something they can follow. Don't go too fast. You know, I had Harley racing for a seminar about six or seven years ago, and I had 40 people on the seminar, paired them up. They wrestled each other. And he said to 19 of the 20 matches that went on that he evaluated, he said to 19 of those people, slow down. Man, yeah. there's no hurry. They're not going anywhere. And so, you know, the one match that was perfectly paced, he used as an example. But, you know, I think this is one of those things where, you know, Jim Cornette told me a long time ago, it's a race, not a dance. I mean, it's a dance, not a race. And I think people have to understand that that's exactly what it is. It's a dance. And, you know, you, you, those transitions and things are how you put people on those roller coasters and, and get them going. You know, it's the same thing you learned that, that you teach. It's not any different, I know, from, from your experience and the guys that trained you and stuff. It's the same stuff you learned, you trained. The same thing I learned, I trained. It's, you know, it's, that's the important stuff, so. Well, man, it's been great sure. talking to you. Well, thank you guys so much for having me today and putting me on this platform. And yeah, man, if you want people knowing know my name, I really appreciate it. We can't, we can't go another seven years without having you back on the show, though. I just know it works. Sounds great. That's great. Right. Talk to you guys more. Okay, my <laughs> man. Good, man. All right, guys, you Thanks, guys have brother. a great night. Thank you again. Thanks. Thanks. Take care. Okay, bye bye. All right. Peace, guys. Later, buddy. Okay, Q, listen, we got to take a quick break. We got to pay the yep, bills before we go off air. Sounds good. Hey, guys, I got to tell you about this new product that Q-Ball and I just started using. It's called RedlineGoods.com. Q, I was on. I ordered a bunch of products from this site, man, and you weren't lying. Man, I'm telling you, you know that tuner car I got, that old Eclipse that I've been working at? I got the, it's called the flat side steering wheel. It's a steering wheel, and it's all hand-stitched, and it's the bottom side instead of run, it's flat, and it's for, you know, tuner cars. And I got the matching boot for the shifter that is handmade and hand-stitched Italian leather. Let me tell you something, dude. This thing looks sweet. The rest of the car, not so good. But the steering wheel, the boot cover, fantastic. Well, I'm going to tell you, I got 1993 LeBaron, and my kids are so embarrassed when I drive this thing around. I went on this site you told me about. I used the promo code QBALL, saved 15%, and my kids love it. I got the coolest looking shifter. I've got new pads on the brake and the gas. I mean, I have done this thing up. The outside still needs some work, man. This place is loaded with colors, and it's shipped worldwide. Like, you were not kidding. I mean, I am shocked. And you know what, Nick? Everything's hand-stitched and handmade in its own shop by him and his family. So, you know, it's, it's handcrafted Italian leather. It's amazing stuff. It, it's redlinegoods.com. Uh, the owner's name is Mike. He's a friend of ours. And if you just happen to mention promo code QBALL, you're going to save 15% on your entire order. So make sure you go there, folks. Redlinegoods.com. All one word, redlinegoods.com. And check out their selection of really nice handmade Italian leather accoutrements for your vehicle. 
and a lot of other cool products they have for cars. Okay, guys. Before we start, uh, I still got to pay a couple more bills. One bill I got to pay. She's going to agree. Intro case. The official intro videos that are made for uh, our great show here at Turnbuckle Trunks and Titles is uh, all done from there. And now you guys can do it too. And all you have to do is go to introcave.com. Buy, build it, buy it, and use the promo code Triple T Radio and save 30% off your next order. And this is the official sponsor of what just happens to be Q Balls Conspiracy Theories. Q, I got to pay one more bill, buddy, but this one is all for you. It's Amazon. Q-Ball Carmichael's Shopping Made Fun. Q's got some amazing products there. Uh, the, the big one that's got everyone talking, it's helping me focus better. My memory, the clarity, I've never felt better in my life. I'm buying this stuff for my kids. I'm buying it for my wife. buying it for my parents. Q, brainstorm. Stuff sounds amazing. It's a boost focus. How excited are you to finally have this out? Man, you know, it, it's been a long time. We worked hard on the ingredients. I'll tell you one of the cool things is I've always had a sleep disorder, so I monitor my sleep constantly through my Fitbit. First thing in the morning when I wake up, I check my sleep. And yesterday, I... uh I had taken my brainstorm. I've been taking it in the morning, and last night, yesterday, I forgot. So, day before yesterday, so I forgot. So I took it at night. Now, if I get an hour and forty minutes of REM, which is the rapid eye movement, the deep sleep, I'm pretty excited. It's been a good night for me. I have gotten in the past five years since I've been using this. I've gotten a couple of nights of two hours and ten or two hours and fifteen minutes REM. The first night that I took the brainstorm in the evening, I woke up the next day and I felt fantastic. And I had three hours and nine minutes of REM, which is astronomical. I mean, that's a lot for a normal person, but for somebody with a sleep disorder since they were age five, it's like miraculous. And I was going 100 miles an hour all day yesterday, wide open. And usually four o'clock, I'm like, oh man, I need a nap. Not yesterday, man. I was or day before. I was racing all day long. I felt fantastic. It was unbelievable. So now I'm taking it before I go to bed. And I got to tell you, we did put some stuff in there to improve sleep. That was a secondary thought. The primary thought was depression, mood enhancement, memory, focus, and clarity. Um, but I got to tell you, you can't argue with the first time in five years getting over three hours REM. I think it's going to be one of those products where that's taken at night, a couple hours before bed. It's going to give you a deeper, more restorative sleep, which is kind of cool because, you know, the, the adjustable memory foam pillow that we, we sell has done great. Took off over the weekend. We had 20 sales over the weekend of the pillow. I mean, people from all over bought it. And, you know, that helps give – I sleep on that as with my wife and my daughter. But I think the combination of the pillow, the good sleep, no stiff neck in the morning, and no headache, and waking up 
after taking the brainstorm at night, I think that's the ticket, man. I, I just never, I haven't had a good night's sleep like that. Probably the last time I did, I drank so much alcohol, I can't even remember. <laughs> but no hangover with the brainstorm, so it's a plus. But yeah, it's working fantastic, man. It's like a double threat. And listen, let me do let me do a quick shout out to my pals and and Philly listening to the show. They'll probably catch it the rest of it on uh, on Stitcher or on Spotify or on Google Podcast or on iTunes. Um, my friends in Jersey, Jeff Chambers listening down in Gadsden, Alabama. Good buddy of mine, good buddy of Jack Lords who was on the show. He's listening, so I was going to give him a shout out earlier. I'm going to have to tell him to play it back so he can hear it because I told him I was going to. He's uh, been on a kidney transplant list for the last six years, and my whole family's offered to donate, but we're not matches. And so, you know, we're we're hoping he gets that done real soon. But he's just a, a great guy, former law enforcement officer, too. So, you know, close to my heart. Oh, that's awesome, man. My hat's off, yeah. too. And um, shout out, absolutely. You know, I love that about this show is we're able to do that. We're going to have to work on the damn platform of the show so we make sure we get all of our sponsors in. Um, well, you know, I had a list of shout-outs on my paper right here. And here's the thing is we got to do it before we get the guest because the guest is sort of a runaway train with me. I mean, you know, everybody that's been on the show, I've either known or I, or if you've booked them from Canada, I've connected with them. And it kind of just takes on this life of its own and it steals the show. It just, it, it, not intentionally, it's just, you know, you start asking them questions, they start asking you questions, and next thing you know, uh, a 15 or 20-minute guest spot's 45 minutes. And not so I, I do. Your, your phone disconnecting. Well, that's what you'd like me to think, but I know the truth. Yeah, blog talks on to us. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of truth, I decided to take on a monster. And I've been debating this or not, but you know, I've always thought since the inception of this incident that there has been some sort of cover-up. So I've done, I've taken over four weeks to uncover some stuff that uh, that really will rock the foundation in which all people, not just Americans and North Americans, but all people, um, I think are going to scratch their heads when they're done listening to this. And we're only going to go into a little bit of it tonight, and we're going to go into more of it on the air next week. I'll recap this part. Um, but it's the 9-11 incident. And I have uncovered some facts um, that are non-debatable because they are facts. So and one is a product called Thermite. And I asked you a few weeks ago if you'd ever heard of it. Thermite is a powder. You can be mixed in paints or anything else and painted on, um, but it has a higher burning point than steel. It will melt steel structure. And ironically, at ground zero, after the Twin Towers fell, there in the dust at the bottom of ground zero were found traces of not just thermite, but something called nanothermite. Nanothermite is like thermite on steroids. It's a mega heat producing steel melting material um, because I think what a lot of people wondered is you know the structure of the Twin Towers. How does an airplane go through there and get the building to almost implode from the bottom down or the top up but in a straight line and not tip over? Because for me the first thing that I noticed was 
is how the buildings fell didn't seem normal to me from a building that was hit um, with a blunt object. And knowing how jet fuel burns hot but fast, how that would actually melt steel. So thermite, and this has been confirmed by over 1,700 different different engineers, that traces of nano thermite were found in the rubble at the dust. Now, one of the things that they did is immediately the steel was removed from the 9-11 site. The steel was sold uh, to overseas, and it was melted down overseas, so all evidence of anything on the steel was immediately removed, sent overseas on a ship, and destroyed. Now, to me, that was a crime scene. That should have never happened, being a police officer, but saying it did. Now, 1,700 different engineers and architects support a real independent 9-11 investigation. Um, Richard Gage is the founder of Explosive Evidence, Blueprint for Truth, um, the truth of 9-11, and the Toronto hearings, they called it, the Kevin Ryan and these 1,700 experts have confirmed that buildings do not burn and collapse like that from jet fuel. There has to be an outside force stronger and hotter than jet fuel. Number three, and this is, this is a pretty big one for me coming up here. A lot of people don't know this, um, but there, some of the facts are that you know, the buildings went down. One went down at, I believe, 940, and then uh, a couple other – the other one went down at 11-something. Anyway, regardless of that, by noon, both of the buildings had collapsed were on the ground. One of the interesting things that, that I have found out that I think is, is sort of amazing is there was another building called World Trade Center 7. World Trade Center 7 was a 33-story building that housed some of the Securities and Exchange Commission, um, but it also housed some FBI files and some FBI information. Now, this building collapsed at 5.20 in the afternoon. And they said it originally collapsed because the steel girder from one of the uh, World Trade Center 1 or 2 had hit the building. But the building collapsed, they said, of a fire. But the entire time of collapse of World Trade Center 7 was 6.5 seconds. At freefall acceleration, um, it was considered actually from the time of the implosion to the time it hit the ground was 2.25 seconds. So you have a 33-story building hitting the ground in less than six seconds, actual time of collapse, 2.25 seconds. Now, that building never found a fire. It was never hit by an airplane. How does that collapse? Jeez, yeah, really? In the history of steel-framed high-rise buildings, no building has ever totally collapsed from fire or structural damage. Building 7 was not hit by a plane or anything. Dick Cheney, who was the Secretary of Defense, was in command of NORAD. That's the North American um, um, Air Defense System. On 9-11, we were running war games, what they called it. Was the, was, of course, it was called when 
uh, commercial aircraft divert from their flight path. NORAD scrambled jet just in case. Dick Cheney was given NORAD a stand down order. So in order for those planes to be shot down, we would need jets in the air and the stand down was given. Six out of the ten commissioners believe the 9-11 on the 9-11 commission believe in the commission report that it was set up to fail. Co-Church Hamilton Keene said it was a 30 years conspiracy. The White House has played cover-up the entire time. The FBI confiscated 84 of 85 videos from the Pentagon. The Pentagon was hit allegedly by an airplane, even though the debris didn't show airplanes. Out of 84 videos that were taken, 84 videos disappeared. The only security camera released from the Pentagon, the 85th, does not show a 757, and there's no plane in the image. The Sheraton Doubletree and the Sitco gas station across the street, they didn't think to confiscate their videos. They also show no plane hitting the Pentagon. Another interesting thing, Osama bin Laden was not wanted by the FBI for the 9-11 attacks. No hard evidence ever connected bin Laden to 9-11. The CIA CIA created, trained, and funded al-Qaeda Taliban during the Mujahideen OBL, which was a CIA CIA asset named Tim Osman. He was found dead in December of 2001. Hundreds of firefighters have witnessed testimony to bombs and explosions ignored by the 9-11 Commission. The 9-11 Commission report bars 503 first responder eyewitnesses to explosions in the lobby and the sublevels. Explosions that would topple the building straight down, imploding upon itself. Wow. Yeah. Hundreds of firefighters also witnessed testimony to molten metal, ignored by the commission report. Of those hundreds of firefighters that were asked, they said it was like you're, you were in a foundry. Liquid steel was everywhere. The, the National uh, Safety and Transportation Commission denies the existence of molten metal. As of 21 days after the attack, the fires were still burning and molten steel was still running. 21 days later, there was still molten steel at the bottom of that pile. But yet he says there was never any molten steel. Really? Really. Huh. Here's an interesting thing. On September 10th, 2001, one day before the attack, uh, Donald Rumsfeld reported $2.3 trillion missing from the Pentagon. The Pentagon comptroller, Dovi Zakim, former VP of Systems Planning Corporation, Flight Termination System, signatory of a PNAC document, which is a Pentagon document. 220-plus senior military intelligence service, law enforcement, and government officials, government officials questioned the official story of 9-11. Patriots for 9-11, Robert Bowman, Sybil Edmonds, Albert Subtrain, Wesley Clark, Mark Dayton, Alan Sabrowski, Cynthia McKinney, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Seinfeld, 
on PatriotsQuestion911.com, also question it. The towers were built to withstand a Boeing jet. This is a quote. I designed it for a 707 direct hit. Leslie Robertson, World Trade Center structural engineer. It could probably sustain multiple impacts of jetliners, like a pencil puncturing screen netting. Dr. Frank Martini, deceased, manager of the World Trade Center Construction and Project Manager Management, as far as the plane knocking a build over, building over, that could and would never happen. This was also mentioned by Charlie Thornton, the structural engineer of the Twin Towers. No way. The British Broadcasting Company's correspondent, Jane Stanley, reported the collapse of World Trade Center 7. That's the Solomon Brothers building, it was called. It had Security and Exchange Commission and some FBI offices. She reported it 20 minutes before it happened. CNN, Fox, MSNBC also had early reports, along with the BBC, the World Trade Center 7 had collapsed 20 minutes before it actually happened. Wow. This is just the beginning of it. That's 16 of 40 that we have that will continue to go on. One of the interesting things here in the U.S. is after the 9-11, uh, the Patriot Act was enacted. It became signed into law October 26, 2001. Anything that know anybody that knows anything about laws that are sworn uh, and written and signed by Congress, it takes months and months and months to do it. The Patriot Act was actually written six months before 9/11. Really? Yes. Jeez. So Marvin Bush was director of strategic. Uh, it's called Suricom and Kalam, which was in charge of security of the World Trade Center. United Airlines and Dulles International Airport, all three were breached on 9-11. ICTS was another company that provided security at the airports. Fort Walker, Ezra Hazel, ICTS, World Trade Center, Power Downs. I'll give you one more. Who killed John O'Neill? former FBI task force agent investigating Al-Qaeda, Bin Laden, and the World Trade Center was transferred by Kroll Corporation to head of security just before 9-11. He was placed in the towers on 9-11. No way. And died in it. Yeah. He was the one investigating the Al-Qaeda, Bin Laden relationship the the potential strikes on America, and he was transferred shortly before that to an office in the Twin Towers. Right. Yeah, it, it, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. I think one of the most amazing things is when you ask yourself how this can happen, at least seven of the 19 listed hijackers are still alive. This is reported by the BBC. No video footage of the 19 hijackers or passengers boarding the four planes. Pilots of the four planes never squawked at the hijacking code 
alive hijackers. It's called ACARS. Pilot for 9-11 Truth Commission are the ones reporting on this. The World Trade Center 7 smoking gun. Oh, I'm sorry. World Trade Center 7 was a 47-story skyscraper. was part of the World Trade Center complex built in 84. It would have been the tallest high-rise in 33 states. It collapsed at 5.20 p.m. on September 11th in six and a half seconds at free fall acceleration. It was not hit by an airplane and suffered minimal damage compared to the other buildings much closer to the Twin Towers. World Trade Center 7 is located almost a half a mile away. Yeah. Imagine that. Unbelievable. Oh, it just gets so much deeper. We barely scratch the surface. We'll save the rest of the next week. If 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 we both live, absolutely. Somehow we don't end on a plane, end up on a plane together, flying to Cancun. They get hijacked and flown into a three-story building. <laughs> I absolutely agree. So much more. Stuff. Listen, I uh, I thank you so much for coming on the show tonight, being a part of it. Uh, this is your show. I hope it lives up to your expectations. And uh, I can't wait to do this again next week. Sounds good, brother. I will talk to you soon. Okay, Peace out, everybody. Thanks for listening, ballers. Appreciate it. My co-host, Nick London, thanks for all you do behind the scenes, brother. This thing wouldn't run if it wasn't for you. We'll see you next week, my man. Au revoir. If we stay in Montreal.